All right, so <clears throat> uh, we're starting a new sermon series today in 2 Timothy, and you can turn there. Remember, we were doing 1 Timothy before we went to Lamentations, so now we're going back to 2 Timothy. Um, you remember we call these the pastoral letters, pastoral epistles, because they are written to pastors like Timothy. Um, so please stand. We'll read chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This is God's holy word. Please give ear to it. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That ends the reading of God's word. Have a seat. And let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for, for your word. And Lord, we pray it should help us now to give the due reverence to you as you speak to us, that we would pay attention intently to what you have to tell us. Lord, we pray that you would both encourage and challenge us today as your Holy Spirit applies your word to us. Help us to believe it and to obey it. We know that we can't do it on our own, so help us by your Spirit, we pray. In our Lord Jesus' name, amen. A little stash of water down here. So, I want you to imagine that you're an old man, not much of a stretch for some of us. Imagine you're an old man and you are in the dark. You are sitting in a hole in a dungeon. It's cold because you don't have your coat. And you're lonely because most of your friends, your confidence, have left you, deserted you. And you're not, you're not sitting by yourself, but you're sitting in a, amongst a bunch of criminals and you're all about to, to, to be killed by an axe chopping off your head 
and you're just biding your time, waiting in the darkness. It's maybe a little hole with a little bit of light during the day at the top, but also you're half blind, so you can't see very well. You have one friend who's helping you out named Luke, and maybe he brought uh, paper and pen uh, to write down a letter. How would you feel? And also remember, your life work, you've been planting churches your whole life. Your life work seems to be in shambles. Like the churches you've planted, they don't look to be doing very well. They have a lot of heretics and a lot of dissension in their midst, a lot of false teaching. And in human terms, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. How would you feel? This is kind of the context in which this letter, 2 Timothy, was written. Paul wrote it. And he's writing it to Timothy, who is, I guess you could say, not an ideal leader. Not in, when you think of a good leader, a good strong leader, you, you wouldn't think of Timothy, because Timothy was, like we call him, uh, kind of the old-fashioned way, a man of weak constitution. Uh, he had his stomach problems. He was timid. Um, he had to tell the Corinthians, you know, make sure you're nice to him and welcome him. Uh, he's probably an, an introvert. Um, the older people would often apparently pick on him, so Paul had to say, make sure you don't you know, take that from, <laughs> don't let them disrespect you just because you're young, right? So Timothy wasn't a natural leader, I think. He struggled to have the courage to lead God's people. And so Paul is writing this very last letter, this very last communication to Timothy, who he loves so dearly. Now, we are full of a lot of fear in the world. It's, a, it's an age of fear, isn't it? I mean, watch the news. I, I feel like they actually want you to be afraid because maybe they get more clicks for their ads. Um, it gets more viewers when they get people afraid or maybe sells certain products or gets people to vote for certain parties. So actually the world uh, is happy with oftentimes with you being afraid. But we're told here today that the spirit that God gives is not a spirit of fear. And the spirit it's talking about there is not just any spirit, but I think it should really be capitalized. It's the Holy Spirit that is not a spirit of fear, but of power. Now, the Bible teaches that we are in a time of tribulation. You know that? The tribulation is not just some seven-year period before Christ returns, as that's what I was taught when I was a kid, but the Bible actually teaches that the tribulation is the whole period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It's a time of tribulation. That means... 
As Paul is writing here to Timothy, it was a time of tribulation. What kind of tribulation were they undergoing? He talks um, about some of these people who are opposing him or deserted him, such as Alexander the coppersmith or Demas, who says he loves the world. And Paul's in prison probably because of Nero. So he's got a lot of opposition, uh, tribulation that he was going through. But don't we have a lot of tribulation as we look in the world today? The church also experiences a lot of tribulation from heresies. You know, we, we are surrounded by different cults in Korea. Um, Chin Chunji, uh, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, they're all over the place. Um, governments in many places oppose the church. I think of in China, Chinese government is opposing the church very strongly in, in many ways. Um, and within the church, we have false teachers. And, you know, the clearest example of that would be Pope Francis. Maybe that offends some of you, but it's true. So we, we have opposition. We live in a time of tribulation today. How are we to conquer the fear What can we do? Now, think about our natural condition in Adam. We're born in Adam, in his sin. And that means Adam, think about what happened to Adam and Eve after the fall, after they sinned, after they disobeyed God. They hid in fear. So that is the natural state. The fallen man is a feeling of fear that we're born with. And how, how does the world say you can overcome that fear? Generally, it's a matter of willpower. You're told to just be strong. Um, I'm no expert in philosophy, but I've, maybe Aristotle, Donald can correct me later, but <laughs> I think Aristotle would say something like, you know, you have to do brave things, and you have to produce a habit of bravery to become a brave person. And that's kind of how the world approaches fear. It's just like you have to uh, you know, have a stiff upper lip and confront it, and you will become fearless. But the Bible gives us something much better, a much better way to confront fear. And that is, Jesus Christ has conquered fear. He has conquered fear on the cross. And in his resurrection power, he's conquered fear. He saves us from fear. You see, it's only as we're united to Christ when you think about Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he faced death furious, fearlessly, courageously went to the cross to save you. And, by, and he was raised powerfully unto new life. And he is raised the right hand of God the Father right now. 
And by faith, spirit-wrought faith, you are united to Christ if you're a believer. And that means you have this, that power, that resurrection power that raised Christ, enabled him to face death fearlessly, is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And see, we can only respond to the call for courage because of what Christ has done first. You know, it's a command in the Bible to be courageous. But we can only keep that command as we look to Christ who kept that command first. Because Christ was bold and courageous that we can be saved from our fear and live fearlessly. So, this is the main theme in today's text today. We're going to look at three M's. So through mentors, mothers, and ministry, the Holy Spirit dispels fear by uniting believers to the risen Christ by faith. I'll say that one more time. Through mentors, mothers, and ministry, the Holy Spirit dispels fear by uniting believers to the risen Christ by faith. So what the apostle's doing here, when he, when he wants to build um, faith in something, um, we can think of even a product, you know, salesman telling, why should you trust this product? Well, they go into detail about how it was built. And so the apostle Paul goes into some detail here and reminds Timothy of what he already knows, but reminds him how his faith was built. That it was not built upon his own strength, but the Holy Spirit built his faith and he used these means. Mentors, mothers, and ministry. So first of all, the Spirit uses mentors to pass on fear-conquering faith. Let's look again at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is not writing on his own behalf, but he's writing as an apostle. Apostle is one who sent. So he's official representative of Jesus Christ. He's not writing his own will, but by the will of God. So an apostle is one who is sent with a message. So Paul, as he's sitting in prison about to die, fully understands that he was sent there by God's sovereign will. He was sent to Timothy first to be a mentor to him, and he was sent to write this letter to us, for us to be encouraged and challenged in 2021. And he was sent. Everything he did was according to God's will, according to the promise of life. So as he's sitting there about to die, what's he thinking about? He's thinking about the life, the eternal life that is his and ours in Christ as we're united to him by faith. He says, To Timothy, my beloved child. You can just get a sense of their deep relationship of love by reading this here, can't you? 
Now, so this is more than just a superficial mentorship, but this is a deep bond. Now think about Timothy. Timothy probably had some daddy issues because he talks about his mom and his grandma and their faith, but nothing about Timothy's dad. Timothy's dad was likely not a believer. He was a Greek. And so Timothy didn't have a father figure in that way. So the Lord provided him sovereignly the apostle Paul as a father figure to take that role. And the Lord used Paul powerfully in Timothy's life. Actually, mutually beneficial when you think about it. Paul was a great blessing to Timothy, but Timothy was also a great blessing to Paul. And so Paul now is passing on the torch, passing on the ministry to this young Timothy. And he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's only by God's grace that we can truly conquer fear. Because grace means the unmerited or the demerited favor of God. You know, if we were trying to earn God's approval, we could have nothing but fear because we're sinners. We would be full of fear all the time if we're trying to do it not by grace. But it's because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ is by grace alone that we're able to to have peace and not live in fear of God's judgment. He continues in verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. So Paul recognizes that he is not the inventor of Christianity, as some would have us believe, but there's this long line of ancestors. And I don't think he's talking about his immediate ancestors, but probably um, the faithful Israel throughout history. And he's saying, I worship and I serve the same God, the very same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there is strength and confidence as we think about how God is working not just now in us, but for thousands of years he's been doing this work of the church and this plan. And we're just a small part of, of that work that God's doing. So we, we can have confidence in that. He says he has a clear conscience. Now most of the people sitting in jail wouldn't have had a clear conscience and a lot of Paul's detractors would have said, look, you're being persecuted it's because of your sin. But he says, no. On the contrary, I have a clear conscience. I'm here because I was preaching the gospel. And he's not ashamed of the gospel. He has a clear conscience. If we're to live lives without fear, we have to have a clear conscience as we confess our sins. Paul wasn't perfect, and yet he was able to have a clear conscience. He was a sinner just like you and I. 
And yet he was able to have a clear conscience as he repented and followed the Lord, trusted in him. He says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. So part of mentorship, a huge part of it, maybe even the most important part, is prayer. To have someone who you know is praying for you, and not just a little bit, but constantly, day and night. He's trying to encourage Timothy in his ministry here. And we all need that kind of encouragement, to have someone praying for us day and night, constantly, as Paul did for Timothy. He says in verse 4, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. So you can see just how close the relationship was because he's talking about when they had to leave each other. And, you know, when, when Paul had to leave Timothy, um, it hurt Timothy so much he was crying. He just didn't want to part with him. Paul says, I long to see you, that I would be filled with joy. Just to see him, filled him with the joy of the Lord. So, you know, in history, there, there are many examples of this kind of, uh, kind of spiritual father-son sort of relationship. John Calvin, the reformer, he had a father named Bootser, Martin Bootser. Have you heard of him? He's not quite as famous as Luther or Calvin, but he's very important. And just as an example, this is some of the stuff Bootser did for Calvin, he said. Uh, and this is from uh, biography on John Calvin by Gordon. It says, Bootser put himself out for Calvin in every respect. He provided accommodation in his own home, introduced him to his circle of friends, and finally found a house with a shared garden where they might easily meet and converse. Calvin's letters contain numerous references to evenings spent deep in conversation with Bootser. And by the time he returned to Geneva, he would describe his relationship to his teacher in terms of father and son and expressed his willingness to submit himself to the Strasbourg Reformer's authority. Now, you can think about Calvin. Uh, he also didn't have a great relationship with his father, um, maybe similar to Timothy. His father had told him, you have to be a lawyer, and he wanted to be a priest. Um, but they seem to have a, a, not an ideal relationship. But here the Lord had filled in what was lacking in the spiritual father uh, of uh, Bootser and even let him live together with him in his house, right? This is the kind of thing we need to be willing to do for, for each other. And we need to seek out these relationships, um, especially between those who are a little older and a little younger, to support and help each other, share wisdom, and bless one another, and pray for one another. So I'd ask you, do you have a mentor? Um, now in our church, we have uh, it's, a lot of churches have lots of older people, so that makes it a little easier to find a mentor. But let's do 
let's take a little more effort, I think. Maybe this is where the scolding comes in, Pastor Jay. <laughs> let's take a little bit more effort um, to, to find those kinds of relationships. Now, we have a small church, so I think when I went to big mega churches, I hardly knew anyone around me, right? So I do think we, we have a blessing in that we're, we're probably a little closer and tighter um, relationship than, than a mega church. But I think we can do a lot better at loving one another and helping one another and mentoring one another. So let's, let's uh, seek that blessing that the Lord has for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So the Lord uses mentors to pass on fear-conquering faith. He also uses mothers. And that's our second point here. Let's look at verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Now, Paul's going to remind Timothy here. To encourage him, he reminds him of basic truths. Timothy already knows all this stuff. Now, when you go to encourage someone, you might often think, well, I need to tell, some, tell them something they don't already know. Well, I think oftentimes to encourage someone, you just remind someone of what they already know, but you reinforce that and remind them, think something that maybe they forgot or they, you know, they haven't been thinking about it in the right light. So he reminds him, uh, I'm reminded, he says, of your sincere faith. Now, there are, there are different, there's a sincere faith and there's an insincere faith. And Paul has encouraged a scene, Timothy's sincere faith, even though he's racked by, by doubt and, and, and scared. He still says, I see you have a sincere faith. You know, there are a lot of people who say they're Christians but don't live like they're Christians. And, but, but Timothy, he had a sincere faith. And as we see that in each other, we need to encourage one another in that regard. But it didn't come from nowhere. It, it didn't, God didn't save Timothy in a vacuum. But he says, A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now this is wonderful. You know, I think this is the only place in the Bible where it talks about a grandma, a grandmother. And Timothy's grandma, Lois, was a godly woman. She, faith, sincere faith dwelt in her. And she passed that down. Now, we don't all come from a Christian heritage like Timothy, but we all... Um, have the circumstances that the Lord has sovereignly ordained so that we would come to faith. The Lord brought the right people into our lives to share the gospel with us and support us, to bring us to faith. 
and to call us as his elect. And, the, and it's often grandmas and, and mothers who, are, who the Lord uses so strongly, so powerfully to pass faith, produce faith in someone. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who has to produce faith in us, but the Holy Spirit uses people. And he used Lois. He used his mother, Timothy's mother, Eunice. And that's beautiful. And he's using this now, he's reminding Timothy of this now to say, listen, your faith is for real. It's something that the Lord started, this work of your faith. Actually, before you were born, he first saved Lois, right? And then he saved Eunice. And all this is part, you're part of something much greater than yourself. And we call this covenant nurture in the home. The Lord uses covenant nurture for our covenant children to bring them to faith. And it's a wonderful blessing, and it's a great responsibility. Now, I I think actually today is, in the U.S., it's Father's Day. (laughs) So it's funny that I'm talking about mothers. We don't generally have Father's Day or Mother's Day sermons in this church. Uh, but a lot of churches will have, you know, like a Father's Day, Mother's Day sermon. So but we'll talk about mothers today on Father's Day, although it's not in Korea, right? <laughs> um, but a lot of us are Americans. Um, call your dad and, and thank him. Uh, tonight would be good. So the Lord used Lois and Eunice. And I also think here of, of Augustine. You know, Augustine has a famous mom, Monica. And Augustine, in one of his prayers, he's thanking the Lord for Monica, and he says this. He says, You stretch forth your hand from above and drew my soul up out of that profound darkness because of my mother, Monica. Your faithful one wept to you on my behalf more than mothers are accustomed to weep for the bodily deaths of their children. For by the light of the faith and spirit which she received from you, she saw that I was dead. And you heard her, O Lord. You heard her and did not despise her tears when pouring down they watered the earth under her eyes in every place where she prayed. You truly heard her. And so the Lord, Augustine recognizes that the Lord used his mother, Monica, as a means, her prayers, to bring him salvation. And, and I want to encourage our, our mothers in the, in the congregation today that your prayers and your tears for your children and sharing the gospel with them, the Lord sees you and he will reward you. And he will bless your prayers. You see, Christian motherhood, it's both a great blessing and a high calling. Now, if you have a believing mother, don't take her for granted. You know, I lost my mom 
uh, a few months ago. And uh, when that happened, I, I was a bit guilty that I had taken her for granted. So I repented for the Lord. I, I was not as thankful as I should have been for her, to the Lord, and to her. And so I'd encourage you to, to honor your mother, especially if she's a believer and passed the faith on to you. What a great blessing. Now, Proverbs 22 gives us a wonderful encouragement. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the Lord uses mentors, he uses mothers, finally uses mission, or the mission call. We want to think about that. So look at verse 6. It says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. All right, so Paul's talking about a gift that was given to Timothy. What gift was that? The gift of preaching and teaching. And that's what Timothy's specific gift was. And he's telling Timothy, you need, it's like a fire that needs to be fanned to increase the flames. Now, have you been camping? You have the campfire there and it's starting to go out. You just have little embers and you, you blow on it a little bit and it takes off, right? And so it is also, Paul is saying, with our spiritual gifts. So this is, can be applied very generally to every believer has a spiritual gift. And you need to fan it into flame. He continues and he says, uh, which, is, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now he's talking about here the, the ordination ceremony. So one, when one, one is ordained to an office in the church, such as a minister, and I remember uh, my ordination, people put their hands on me, right? What does that represent? Ultimately, it's representing the hand of the Lord, the hand of Christ upon that person and calling them unto that, that ministry. And it's, that's, again, it's a general principle. It's not true just of those who have official office in the church or ministers. But the Lord, if he's given every believer, all of you who believe in him, he's given... A, a spiritual gift and it's just it's it might as well be that imagine if Christ was in the room and he he gave you a gift and if you just didn't use it just I'll put it over in the corner <laughs> you ever seen a kid who got a gift they didn't like and and just uh, didn't play with it <laughs> that's how it is when we don't use the gifts that the Lord has given us so we are to to use the gifts because the Lord has he's placed our, his hand on us. He's, he's given us specifically each something, a way to glorify him in the body. And it's all different, each one of us. 
So he says, fan into flame that gift. Now think about it. Um, if there was a soldier who was given a powerful wep weapon and then his country was invaded, but he just left it in the box and sat there and did not use the weapon to protect his, his homelands from invasion. What would we think of that? So we are in, engaged in spiritual warfare every day of our lives, and we are called to use the weapon. You are called to use spiritual gift, the weapon that you're given to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. So use it, church. And continuing on in verse 7, finally it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So again, he's talking there not of any not of any spirit, but of the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God has been given to you if you believe in Christ. And that means he is a spirit of power, of love and self-control. Now when you're in fear, when you're living in fear, you often do things not out of love. Love and fear can be opposites oftentimes. And when you're in fear, you, you lack self-control because you're just reacting to your fears. But when we're giving the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of power, we're able to, the fruit of the Spirit, love, self-control. So let us use our gifts with power and love and self-control. So 1 Peter 4, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as we come to conclusion today, I ask you a question. Will you live by fear or by faith? That's our choice, fear or faith. You see, if you try to live by your own strength, your own fleshly power, you will surely be destroyed because you don't have the power to face the world and to be successful on your own. You should be very afraid if you are, are alone. But as you're united to Christ, to his resurrection power, the Holy Spirit works faith in you. There is nothing in this world to be afraid of. So I'll leave you with the words of Isaiah 41. It says, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our Heavenly Father,
we thank you for this word, both of encouragement and exhortation, challenge to us. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to live in fear, the fear that surrounds us in this world. We thank you that we don't have to conjure up our own courage by ourselves, but Lord, that we are united by faith to Jesus Christ in his courageous death and his powerful resurrection. And it's only by your resurrection, Lord, only by that power that we're able to live and not fear. And so we thank you that we sh can have assurance of your, your providence and your, your protection of us and your power working in us. Lord, we thank you for the mentors and the mothers and the call to ministry that you give us. And we pray, Lord, that we might be thankful for them, that we might seek out uh, the right relationships, that we might seek to use the gifts that we've been given, that we would not let the flame grow cold. So, Lord, encourage us and bless us in this church uh, to follow you faithfully and not be afraid. We pray in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.